Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 356, which is our first podcast of 2022 featuring Dan Engelson uh, and Eric Johansson from uh, Goodbye Kansas. And we've been wanting to have them on for a long time to talk about something that's actually, to be honest, very exciting to me, and that's Pipeline. And why do I say it's so exciting? Because we know that Pipeline is going to change drastically in the next few years, and already has been changing. Uh, and they are, uh, people like like those guys from Goodbye Kansas are really going to help us figure out what are the software requirements and how we're going to do it. So very thankful for them to be part of this. Uh, but Kristen, this, like I said, this is a very technical podcast, uh, but something I really enjoyed. Uh, what did What were your thoughts on this? Well, it was just, it was good to hear about how like Eric and Dan started at Goodbye Kansas and the career paths that led them there and how they just started off with four people in the pipeline and now they're 12. Um, and like you said, talk, they talk about the pipeline process in VFX, just how it's changed over the years. And then in particular, the open source products that create a more efficient pipeline, um, which gives them ability to focus on a lot more important stuff. So you guys go into a lot about that and then you talk about USD huge part of it um, and just kind of how that helps with shading and lighting uh, manage and Hydra. But I mean, you guys, yeah, I'm not, you're the, you're the USD guy. So <laughs> yeah, Vlado's, uh, Vlado's been uh, put me on an assignment to, to really get involved into USD stuff. And so I have, and it's been very interesting to hear that. And, uh, and it, it, you know, our products are made because of the input that we get from our customers. And these guys have been really, really good at helping us figure out uh, how we need to shape uh, our USD process for V-Ray. And it was really great to be able to do that. And we're very excited, obviously, for a lot of the stuff we're doing in V-Ray for Houdini as well. And that's also a thanks to what they've been doing for us. So I I enjoyed it. I think it was really cool. I actually think USD is not just going to be something for the visual effects industry. I think it's going to affect absolutely everything we do on uh, on the internet even. Uh, so really hearing what that how that, how that's shaping up is is very very interesting to me. Okay. So like I said, this is our first podcast of the year of 2022 and we don't really have many announcements just yet. But uh, if people want to know more about the podcast, Kristen, where can they go? You can go to facebook.com slash cggaragepodcast or chaos.com slash cggarage. Or if you'd like to watch us, go to youtube.com slash chaosgrouptv. Perfect. And uh, that being said, please enjoy this episode number 356 with Dan Engelson and Eric Johansson. Welcome to another CG Garage where the Chaos Group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image-based lighting is really swell, you need to make sure everything has for now. I wanted to talk to you guys uh, at Goodbye Kansas for a while. I've got lots of things I need to ask you questions about. I'm very excited about some of the things you're doing uh, with uh, your Houdini stuff and, you know, the progress. We, you know, we work with you guys on V-Ray for Houdini for a while. So I definitely want to talk about some of those things. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about you guys and your backgrounds and how, you know, how you ended up fitting into Goodbye Kansas and... I mean, a little bit about that. So, so uh, Eric, you want to start first? Yeah, being the being the old timer at the company, almost uh, <laughs> at this time. Uh, How long have yeah, you been so, in Kansas? Since things like ten years now, almost. Wow. Okay. Uh, so it's a it's a stretch. Uh, but yeah, so I studied uh, civil engineering in media technology. I think it translates to. Uh, it's okay. kind of like a Master of Science in close to computer science, but with a more 3D uh, approach. Okay. Uh, and initially, I was more into like I thought I was going to make games, uh, but then after being there, I realized that like I don't really care about how quickly it runs. Like I don't need it to run 60 frames per second. I rather mm -hmm. get like one pretty picture uh, out instead. Uh, so most of the studies was focused against like VFX related. Uh, stuff simulations and some gaming products snuck in as well but most of it uh towards vfx uh yeah after that i did my master thesis wrote like a maya plugin for 
fracturing uh, geometry, uh, which was like a copy-paste almost of Rayfire for 3ds Max at the moment, but nothing existed uh, for Maya. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I went to, as I mentioned briefly before, uh, to LA uh, for like half a year, uh, hang out at Side Effects, did an internship uh, there. Oh, nice. Uh, but then it was pain in the ass to get a visa in the States. Uh, so I went back to uh, back to Sweden, worked as an IT consultant for a little while. Didn't really like that. That was not my <laughs> not my <laughs> cup of tea at all. Uh-huh. Uh, but then after a while, uh, Frederick, the founder of F-Track, that was then the CTO at Fido, uh, gave me a call uh, if I wanted to join uh, Fido, which is one of the companies that merged into Goodbye Kansas uh, later down Got the road. It. So that's where I ended up, uh, where I am now. Okay, awesome, awesome, awesome. And what about you, Tan? How did you end up where you are now? <laughs> um, yeah, I started playing with Blender uh, very early on when I was like in high school and stuff and uh, uh, thought it was really cool. So I think, yeah, looking back on, like I saw some Git uh, repo the other day uh, and tried to figure out which Blender version I started on. And it was in 2004 on 2.43 or something like that. It was an uh, old one. I uh, always remember the splash screen when, when you see that in, in the beginning there. <laughs> uh, so I started out like modeling and rendering and doing all of that and got interested in like the sort of technology behind it. And um, when it was time for going to university, I found so in the same uh, uh, education as Eric did as well. So we ended up there uh, uh, in, in Norrköping, Sweden there as well. Uh, and um, yeah, I think the focus has always been to do VFX really since that was like what interested me, like creating 3D characters and animation and stuff like that. And then the t- technology behind it was super interesting. So that education, the media technology in Norshopping gave a really nice like ground to stand on uh, when developing tools and uh, VFX in general. Uh, and then, yeah, I did my internship at the moving picture company in London uh, mm-hmm. and did some... Uh, yeah, post-based deformations for zombies for the well was said, uh, which was fun. It was exciting to be in London as well, going out into the world. Yeah. Uh, and then I did an internship at Pixar uh, Animation Studios in San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, so moved over there and um, yeah, worked on Finding Dory in, on that internship. And then, um, yeah, stuck around there uh, a couple of years and worked on a lot of movies there. Uh, so that was a very fun experience, uh, going from internship to full time and then uh, working there for a couple of years. So wow. and then uh, it was time to move back to Sweden and found uh, GBK or Goodbye Kansas, which seemed to do really cool things. So um, it was great. And it was also at the point of time where all the streaming services were picking up. Mm-hmm. So before it wasn't a lot of VFX in Sweden. Uh, but now with Netflix and all the other um, streaming services, um, the work started to pick up and become more VFX uh, heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a perfect time to just come back home to Sweden to to start on that. And yeah, since we started, we've been growing from four people in pipeline to or Eric and yeah, Joachim in the beginning. And then up to four people, and now we're what are we? Eleven or something like that? Twelve, even if you twelve, count me. yeah, uh, and, twelve uh, people. Okay, yeah. well, yeah, pipeline for more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. so so you guys have always have you guys always sort of like been in in pipeline and tool tool building and 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 things of that nature? Or has that been your sort of focus over these years? For me, it's always been the focus. Uh, I also have a pretty big interest in like Houdini overall uh, and simulations and etc. Uh, but I've always done a lot of coding as well and a lot of like managing Linux servers and all types of weird uh, infrastructure stuff. So right. Pipeline fitted me uh, very well. Uh, I also really like to like optimize stuff. Like whenever we can make stuff more efficient, it's it feels good in the stomach, uh, so mm-hmm. to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a strange satisfaction to to make yeah, things like, more efficient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I, I hear you. Okay, well, that's 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 great. Now, you did mention, like, I, you know, I, I, I've actually uh, did a podcast with Goodbye Kansas many, many, many years ago, and I know that 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 mm. uh, that obviously, like you said, your company has changed quite a bit over the years and has grown quite a bit. Like, how how big is Goodbye Kansas now? Like, how many people are are in the company? <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit hard to say during yeah. like COVID times. Uh, usually, <laughs> otherwise, I kept pretty good track of like all the people that joined and left and etc. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think we are around like two hundred and fifty, maybe or something right. like that, Sounds across right. uh, yeah. Stockholm, London. Uh, now also some people in Vancouver uh, joining as well. Right. Uh, okay. So you're, yeah, you're, you're around you're, those numbers. Like you're mid, you're a big enough studio that you have. Presence in London and Vancouver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that's 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 really that's really interesting. And obviously, I know you guys are doing a ton of work, uh, uh, you know, across uh, different things in, in both streaming and I'm sure the feature film world as well, right? Yeah, some yeah. feature film. It's been mostly uh, TV. Like the subsidy sits us pretty hard in Stockholm, but the London office have been doing more, uh, way more feature film work, so to say. Okay, interesting. So, so subsidy work. So, oh, you get because you have you don't get tax subsidies the same way that London does. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. No. Right. And streaming, streaming doesn't care as much about about the subsidies. Is that what it is, or? Uh, I don't know if they don't care or if they have better budget or. But, yeah, okay. I think it might be just too much work that they need to get it done and uh, right. pay pay for it. Well, that's that's great. Well, you guys do really really great work, so they're getting they're getting a good deal. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so that's cool. All right. So 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 that's awesome. That's awesome. So so let's let's talk a little bit about pipeline. Like like you know you guys both you know been thinking about pipeline. I mean you've obviously you know Dan you're you're talking about it back at Pixar and and Eric mm -hmm. you've been thinking about Houdini for a long time. So how how has your what is your thoughts about how pipeline has changed over the last 10, 15 years? Like what's been the the things that have influenced uh the way that a visual effects pipeline has has been and where was it before and how did it become what it is today what are your thoughts on that i me personally one thing i think i've changed a lot is all the like open source projects and open source mm. standards uh has made it a lot easier to build like an uh, efficient uh efficient pipeline so you don't have to do as much like grunt work you can more focus on the like the higher level uh, stuff uh, on on top, the cherry on uh, mm. cherry on top, so to say, uh, is, right? Glue uh, it together, so to speak. So, 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 okay. what are some of the what are some of those open? I mean, obviously, USD is the new, the new thing. Mm. One big, not new, but it's it's a thing a lot of people are focusing on. It, uh, and we'll get to USD in a second. Is there other? Yeah. Other tools out there that are, that are also you know interesting. Just in even like with uh, Alembic when that came mm. out, and like uh, the Open, Open Image IO, uh, Open EXR, Open Color IO, uh, trying to start looking at Open Timeline IO uh, as well. And it's like all these projects with smart people working on them. Uh, it really makes it possible to build a lot of stuff uh, without writing a ton of code. Even if we write yes. a ton of code, but uh, for the right purposes. Yeah, and then we have Houdini as well, which has focused a lot of on the simulation part. So you don't have to spend a ton of resources doing new simulations. You can just ride ride on what Houdini does there and focus on that, and focus on other things for us instead. Just glue everything together and build pipelines around it, uh, which is. Um, yeah, a new thing compared to previously, where you had to sort of write your fluid solver yourself and then put that in the pipeline and <laughs> right. do everything uh, from scratch. Really, I think it's yeah, also which a is lot interesting. More apply, well, that would lag. Uh, I think it's a lot more applications now uh, than it was when I started. Then it was like mm. Maya, some Houdini, some Mori, and it was like Substance, Unreal, Marvelous. It's like all uh, yeah the 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 toolbox for VFX artists to like make their pictures has grown uh, a lot. It feels like, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I remember you know when I when I started in visual effects back in you know two thousand one. <laughs> so, I mean, you you had to write everything because there was no tools for it, right? Yeah. So everyone had their own compositor that they wrote, their own everything, mm -hmm. right? So, proprietary software was the thing. 
What was also interesting about the visual effects studios at that time is they would talk about their proprietary software as if it was mm. their secret sauce. Like it was our 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 proprietary software is better than their proprietary software, and that's why our stuff looks better. But that's not mm. the case as much anymore. There's actually like Marvelous Designer is a fantastic cloth simulator. You don't need to write another mm. one. <laughs> nope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is true. Yeah. Time is uh, saved. Yeah. So so you so would you say that right now, like the actual pipeline that you guys are building is what's the 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 term that people use? Uh more more fit for purpose software than than actually proprietary software in some ways. Uh, I would say mm. maybe a little bit both, uh, because yeah. it's still trying to adhere to like how we want to work and how it okay. fits our like culture and like how people want to do, uh, just like go through the process of pushing out uh, a project. And I think also us having like in-house directors and etc. We have to always be like very on our toes because mm. stuff can change uh, quickly. Uh, right. So it's a little bit different to like, here's these shots, do this, and you have a very clear uh, specification of what you're going to do. Uh, that might change a lot of times uh, for us uh, during a project. Mm. Right. So what is what is the what is the uh, the goodbye Kansas way of working? That's a little bit like what what is the, the general <laughs> philosophy there? <laughs> so we heavily utilize uh, F-Track in, in that sense um, okay. and then built a tool around like launching tasks um, and setting up our environment and stuff like that um, to sort of yeah streamline the process of just like here's my shot, launch it and grab all the things needed. Okay. Um, I would say is, is yeah. one of the things I've seen is a really good thing that we have uh, yeah. that has been... Um, yeah, a little bit harder at other studios to to do. Um, yeah, that's a really good point. Like trying to hide like command line interfaces and stuff from artists, like they shouldn't need to learn that really if they're used to. Like, why we can just make an interface for it instead that is easier to grasp and you don't have to remember which flag to use and set the shot and etc. Uh, it should just be available so they can start working uh, instead. Mm. Right. Now, what's your what's your general feeling? And, and I think you know, I think that's obviously a, a good a good TD and a good pipeline is going to make it so that it, uh, someone can come up to speed very quickly and continue to work very quickly, right? Uh, but there's also you know uh, a balance that needs to be uh, made where someone who you know never worked at Goodbye Kansas can come online very quickly as well. So they can start working without too much uh, friction or, or learning curve on, on your pipeline. How do you, how do you balance, balance your, your turn, your concept of efficiency with the learning process of other people? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. It's a hard one. Um, uh, I don't really have an answer for that. Uh, uh, yeah, no, yeah. I don't think we have a set out plan for it. Right. Uh, but I think it helps that we get a lot of freelancers that has been at other companies. And we also have That's like true, various yeah. staff employees that go abroad and work at other places and kind of right. come back with uh, come back with ideas uh, for mm. us of like, this worked really good at this place. Could you make something similar uh, for okay. us? That's good. So you, you you do have like you, you do listen to oh that's how they do it here. That's a pretty good idea, and you sort of try to figure out how to integrate mm. those things. Yeah, yeah. It's very different. You know, I I, in, I went to to Sony ImageWork back in two thousand and five, uh, and back then everything was so proprietary that it was two weeks of training that we had to go through mm. and literally take classes on their process and pipeline before they would approve us to start working on a shot. <laughs> mm. And that seems like a lot of money <laughs> for that. So. Yes. It's yeah. burning through cash. Uh, <laughs> that, that's the, yeah, I think that's the thing also with the open source tool set that you can have in the VFX industry. Like, you, you might have someone that learns, well, in, in this case, USD. If you have learned USD, you know the terms and all that stuff. Right. Um, 
And that is usually the same around different places. And the same goes for different applications like Maya and Houdini. Like if you know Houdini, it's pretty easy to pick that up and, and start using that. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now let's talk a little bit about open source software, right? Because the thing about open source is especially things like open color IO or USD or anything of those things is, is uh, they, those systems uh, basically are uh, uh, relying on the community to continue to help develop those systems, right? So what is Goodbye Kansas's philosophy in terms of contributing to the open source system? <laughs> we are trying to open source some stuff that we've built uh, lately uh, and want to commit more to existing uh, products as well. I don't know if we got some USD stuff in, maybe? Uh, not open source yet, but we're looking into it. So, for instance, our uh, F-Track, uh, there's this resolver that you can sort of talk to and, um, yeah, sort of take this F-Track asset on F-Track and uh, kind of resolve it to a file on disk. Okay. And we've written a F-Track resolver that does that for USD. So it's sort of a plugin that you can write for, say, Shotgun or other um, project manager or management systems. Um, and we've written one of those. And that is something that we would like to open source in the future. Um, but we're not there yet. We, we want to kind of bang our heads against it a little bit more before we... Uh, release it and it, there's also legal stuff that has to go through to to make that happen but that's definitely something that we would like to open source at some point okay and then, yeah and i think other... everyone in our department would like to contribute more uh but mm -hmm. it's also like i think it comes a little bit with size as well uh so to say we are this like mid-size company and most of the bigger products are driven by uh the bigger places uh so to say uh, right. But I think for sure, if we find something that we feel like like this we need to do and this we can help out with, and this will be a good benefit uh, for the open source project, we will try and push it back uh, to the community. Right. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about USD since you brought it up. So USD sort of been, you know, in conversation in the visual effects industry for, for years. <laughs> But what I remember specifically is everyone says, you know, especially when they were talking to Chaos, it was like, are you going to support USD? And we would say, do you use USD? And they would say, no, but we want to use USD. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what do you need for us to support USD? And then so there's been this promise of USD for years and years and years of, you know, it was mm. going to be the, 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 the one ring to rule them all. Uh, and mm. everyone was very excited about it. But uh, it wasn't until recently that people really started to adapt it in more and more seriously as an actual practical pipeline tool. So, what have you noticed? Like, what's what are some of the things that you know got you guys to say, "Aha, we're now want to get into USD and really make this something that we work with." Yeah, I guess just coming from Pixar and worked on yeah, Finding Dory was the first official launch with USD and uh, the RAS uh, renderer. Mm -hmm. um, and having that experience coming back from Pixar to GBK, I, that was something that I wanted to push for. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we went to SIGGRAPH as well, and that was just buzzing with USD everywhere. Uh, mm -hmm. So after that, we were like, yeah, we, we, we should jump on this train as well. And this was in 2000, was it 18, I think it yeah, was? Yeah, I think around 18-ish. Uh, yeah. And it was around the time that side effects had started like building Solaris. And mm. for me, at least, it felt like a pretty stable ground to like stand on. If they make a big commitment to this, uh, it's very likely that more people uh, will follow. And I think it was also around that time that like Animal Logic has started open sourcing uh, their Maya plugin and Pixar and etc. So all the like it wasn't just only this like open source standard anymore. There were actually like pieces that you could use to build yeah. your pipeline. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so let's jumping in. Yeah. Before before we get too much into it, and I I understand. I know what USD is, obviously, and I understand what Solaris is. But let's give, so for some people, let's say, who may just like be new to visual effects and say, okay, I know what, to, like, what is USD and how is it different from, let's say, what we used to use, like 
things like FBX or <laughs> even mm-hmm. Olympic, you know, like what's, what, how does it different? Because some people think, oh, it's just another, you know, like a uh, 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 format, file universal format. Or, file yeah, format. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, to, what, what I, makes I it special? The, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's the first thing you think of when you hear USD that it's like, oh, this is the new file format. It's Alembic 2.0 and I'm right. going to use it the same way as uh, Alembic, but it's so much more. It's like you can store the entire scene description inside USD, so universal scene description. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not just geometry. You can store shaders. You can store uh, yeah, all the information of cameras and stuff like that in it. Uh, so you sort of get this nicely bundled package of everything that you can ship off. Um, and yeah, that is a very powerful thing um, since otherwise you would have like the shaders in one place and you would have geometry in one place and you would try to pull it together and just trying to ship that between different uh, DCCs, say Maya and Houdini, that is uh, something that was cumbersome before and you had to write specific tooling to do that. And now you just store it in USD so you can create an asset in in USD and have that have geometry shading and also maybe referencing in some Maya rigging or any other type of rig um, and just have that transfer through uh, to different DCCs without having to think about it so much like it will just be handled by uh, say Houdini or Maya so life becomes much easier uh, in that sense and since it's open source and more yeah, software companies picks it up. Um, you get like, oh, now Nuke supports USD, and then you can say, oh, okay, nice. We're just gonna plug, plug and play here, and right. now we have USD for Nuke, and yeah, so that's really good. Um, but in 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 a sense, yes, it is a file format, and uh, you store all the files on disk, but it's a hundred and yeah, maybe. Uh, 100,000 or 200,000 files if it's a shot or something like that. Mm-hmm. But all these combines into layers. Uh, so you can think of it, say, like Photoshop, uh, where you can combine, say, geometry in one layer, you do shading in one layer, and you can combine it into an asset in the end uh, that is being resolved uh, into a, a So, you, a so j- just from a practical point of view, I, I understand, but I'm mm-hmm. from a practical point mm-hmm. of view, someone is like has a file that just has the shaders. <laughs> has another file that just has the geometry and has another file that just has the cameras and another one that just has the lights, right? And then you have a Mm. top layer that says, references all those files and then combines them together, right? Right, and so that's kind of nice because you can write your shaders out of one application, you can write your lights out of another mm. application, you can write your explosions out of another application. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And uh, one of the things when we started using USD is like, we're just gonna shade in Houdini and that's it. And you get the shader coming up in Maya, you get it in Unreal and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you don't have to like shade it thrice, you just do it once and be good. Um, so that's a huge benefit for us. Um, right. I think, you, the, you, uh, I think it's worth mentioning the like collaborative working as well that you get in a much different way because you don't have Good. you don't have to like rebuild the yes. scene between each yeah. application like whatever edits the animators or the layouts or whatever do just trickles down to the other uh, departments without them having to like go into an system keep track of what assets to use they just open right. their shot and if the animators has hidden this character then it shouldn't uh, be in the shot, so to say. Mm. Uh, right. So when you finally get to lighting, they don't have to build any scene. They don't have to take in any cameras. They can just like sit down and light uh, instead of build scenes. Right. Which is, I'm super uh, stoked. About well, it's a pipeline a dream, right? It's a pipeline <laughs> yeah, dream yes, because basically, <laughs> because yeah. then the animator or whoever is you know whatever task they're doing, the lighter for the guy who basically mm-hmm. does or the girl who does all the scene assembling, right? They're just mm-hmm. like, give me all the latest, everything that's published, and it all just comes mm-hmm. in, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> ideally. Yeah. So. Yeah, so you definitely take away a lot of the like overhead of your starting lighting or rigging or animating or anything like that. So it's just like, here's my character. I start animating on him right away. I don't care. Like, I don't know if he's supposed to be in the shot, but I see that, oh, this is the character I should animate on. And I don't need to bring him in or anything like that. He should just be there for you to, to start animate. Right. And same with lighting. You can set it up. And then 
it's very powerful with USD with the inheritance. So sublayering in. So we have this sequence workflow uh, type thing where you can say put in uh, a sequence light. So you can do a base setup of uh, of lighting, and all the shots underneath it will just inherit that lighting. And you don't you just do it once, and every shot gets it. And then right. you can just go in and do some some edits in certain shots that needs it and like 90% might be just, yeah, that works fine. We don't need to touch that. Right. So this will definitely like just speed up the workflow of being able to push through a lot more shots. Um, so, yes. Yeah, it's a game changer for us really. Yeah, I, so, but let, let's talk a little bit about like the, there's some the questions, right? Like, so for example, you know, mm -hmm. your, your lighting and your shading, et cetera, right? So, the thing specifically about lighting and shading is that those are from rendering uh, purposes or from from renderers mm. in a lot of ways, uh, and different renders have different ways of describing shading and different ways of describing lighting. So how do you tackle that? So like a you can't just take a something created in Arnold and open it in and it'll work in V-Ray and use all the proper shading and lighting, right? How do you, how does that how does USD manage that process? Yeah, uh, so we do have, uh, there's this USD preview surface um, mm -hmm. that is support, like it's supported in inside USD by default. Uh, and it's a very basic shader that you can like plug in diffuse color, you can plug in specular and stuff like that. But it, it's still a, like a physically based uh, shader. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, it's, yeah, it's working pretty nicely. So you can definitely use that for uh, sort of, having that as the base for just displaying in the storm or hydra viewport if you're just doing rasterizing uh, moving around right uh, but then um, this hydra framework that chips with usd uh, is really powerful where you can actually specify saying yeah if i'm rendering with v-ray then use my v-ray shader if i'm rendering with arnold then use my arnold shader and everything uh, there is handled by hydra and it's stored in usd so we can say set up an asset that uh, we can put in a library and you can have shaders set up just once for V-Ray, for Arnold, for RenderMan, for any other type of render and real-time shaders as well. Mm -hmm. And then Hydra figures out like, oh, you want to view V-Ray? Okay, here's the V-Ray shader for you. Right. Uh, so that's super powerful for, <laughs> for us in, in that sense. Yeah, I was, and, I, was uh, very, yeah. I was very interested in Hydra. I mean, Hydra is, you know, I guess it, that's the... The reason they call it Hydra is it's the multi-headed monster, right? So that they mm. can, it can yep. render in any renderer that you want as long mm. as they support Hydra. Uh, so is that is that, I mean, USD obviously is the file format that uh, holds all the different types of data that you may need in, in a scene description. But Hydra, in a sense, is a viewport. Am I correct? Mm. Uh, it's the framework for... Yeah, taking the scene description and translating it to a specific render that you have chosen to to render, and uh, use the ships with uh, by default this Storm OpenGL renderer, which is super fast and very snappy, and mm -hmm. we we really like that one too. <laughs> okay, uh, because it's like if you yeah were to view it in in Maya or in Houdini, you get the same like textures and same like everything looks the same in in both uh dccs nice uh, so you don't have to do anything special like here's the maya shaders or anything like that it just comes in nice um yeah but, and uh, storm was called hydra first as well right wasn't that confusing a ton of people it is I... super confusing it's hydra yeah. render inside of hydra is basically <laughs> what it was yeah, uh, I think no, it was, or yeah. was. I thought it was like that for a while. That like both their OpenGL yeah. renderer and the like uh, translation uh, translation Hydra was both called Hydra uh, yeah. for a little while. Uh, yeah, it's called Storm now, at least. Yeah, uh, yeah right. And, uh, just to kind of separate the two from each other, and like Hydra is the framework and Storm is the OpenGL renderer there. Um, but yeah, it's. Um, it's been very interesting working together with Chaos uh, to kind of get V-Ray up and running. So we have had a really nice collaboration there with uh, yeah. Andre and, uh, and Gorsho and been chatting a ton on how to implement this in the best way possible. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I'm going to get to V-Ray. I'm going to get to V-Ray, but I want to yeah. give us yeah. some yeah, good sure. groundwork. I'm going to get some <laughs> yeah, good yeah, groundwork yeah, on this stuff. Yeah. So, so, okay. So, so uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, obviously this is a file format that has a lot of different kinds of data and it's complicated, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. How is the performance of this product and how does that compare with different DCCs and how, you know, all of that, like reading all this data in, like, is it slow? <laughs> <laughs> I, it is fast. <laughs> it's fast, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it is really fast, uh, especially with the uh, the open like the storm viewport render. Uh, you can get a lot more data into the viewport and like animate with context um, instead of just bringing proxy. You might be able to bring in higher uh, resolution of the geometry in the background and stuff like that. Right. Um, so that definitely is a a big big push forward um, and then it also loads faster um, and also uh, instead of having this pool system of saying give me all assets and build sort of the scene we just load and then here's the shot for you and that's what you're getting uh, right so so that is and that loads pretty fast as well uh, compared to before so okay yeah uh, performance wise it's much better right might so, be worth so, mentioning that it's also faster to like start renders uh, because you're like you don't have to have this middle ground format to do your your rendering. You're essentially rendering your scene directly, mm -hmm. like you would start rendering directly from your Maya binary or HIP file without having to do any translation. It just goes directly to the render uh, instead. Right, mm -hmm. that's very exciting. Very exciting for sure. Okay, so real quick. Now let's talk about Houdini. So obviously, you know, back when, back in the day, that was, you know, you'd have you'd have a visual effects studio, and most people would have Maya at their desk, right? And then you'd have a couple of guys who were doing explosions or some big sea monster or whatever crazy simulation, and those were the Houdini guys, right? <laughs> and that was the thing; they were the only guys using Houdini, and it was a specialized scene. So in recent years. I've noticed massive interests in Houdini that has happened right. more recently, and specifically uh, Houdini uh, for scene assembly, which was Maya traditionally had been seen as something for scene assembly. So, I you know, what I'm one of my feelings is probably the reason that people are looking at Houdini so carefully now is based on the way that they have embraced. USD. Would you say that that is something that is true <laughs> in a lot of ways? Uh, I think it's for sure uh, one thing uh, that is making, like, I know a bunch of studios testing slurs at the moment and looking at switching uh, to it, uh, but I also knew some that switched, like, before as well, mm -hmm. uh, that just wanted something more flexible and easier easier to pipeline uh so to say it is like if you do the lighting in the normal sub context way we do now it is probably slightly gnarlier than doing it maybe in maya or katana or something like that right uh, but you have a lot of like possibilities for what you can uh do that you can lose out uh, in other applications it's a beast of handling uh stuff okay Let's talk about that. Let's 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 first of all distinguish to people like what is Solaris and how does that different from just plain Houdini? <laughs> can you can you explain those two different things? Yeah, uh, go ahead, so, Dan. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, I can take it. Uh, so yeah, Solaris is sort of like the uh, USD place that you go into and inside there you have this stage which is sort of where all the your usd files resolves to so it resolves into a stage that is sort of a flat flattened version of all your files that you have on disk right uh, and in in there you can do all your usd stuff um, and uh, yeah they have built around usd in that solaris uh, context so yeah, Solaris is sort of is an editor of USD uh, files, so to speak. And then, yeah, you have the normal subcontext. And uh, so it's just a different context within uh, Houdini there. Within Houdini. And then, yeah, yeah. So Solaris sounds like it's, it's like Houdini's 
implementation of of something similar to what Katana was doing in some ways, right? Yeah, uh, I, I think that's what I started out uh, at least to be. Like, this is going to be this lighting package that uses USD, so you can do layout of lighting and uh, maybe some layout as well. Right. And then, yeah, bring in some USD asset and then do lighting. I think that was the main goal. And then, uh, yeah, some look dev as well. And now it's sort of just exploded and it's like, oh, we can do this, we can do that. And it's like, oh, this is so powerful. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it, it's just like, uh, it's a very nice editor of USD uh, context. Yeah. And uh, I, I think they they have realized that. And uh, like in Houdini 19 here with the new layout node that comes out, that you can do layout in a much nicer way than what you could before uh, and stuff like that. It's just like, it's going to be so nice to be in the Solaris context going forward. I think like it's unifies interesting. everything. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I remember when I was uh, like when I was at Sony around 2005 is when they first were writing Katana at Sony, right? And so mm. they're like, oh, they're making a scene assembly program called Katana, and it says it's kind of going to look like Houdini, and it's funny that this mm. come full circle, <laughs> like <Atlanta. laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of interesting. Okay, so let's mm. let's talk about you know uh, uh, bringing you know artists online. Uh, and in 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 Houdini, because you know Houdini was always seen as this beast of a package, and Maya people were always had a little problem sort of moving over to a Houdini process in some ways. How how has Solaris has Solaris made some of that easier? Is it pretty easy to pick up or understand, or is it still you know is it going to take some time for the uh, you know the, the the scene assembly community to to sort of embrace this and be able to be trained into something like Solaris? Uh, I, I think it depends. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I think it depends. Uh, for us at GBK, we have done some tooling around it, so it should be like very familiar and easy for everyone to like pick it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have like a node that you can an HA that you drop down and you jump in there, and you have sort of your context, sort of your layer to do your edits in. And you, if you're in lighting, you do your lighting in, in there, and you publish that to to your lighting layer. Mm-hmm. And if you're in layout, there's actually no difference. You just drop down the same node, and you do your layout inside that node. So if you're a lighter or layout artist, the difference in there is just like what type of nodes you drop down and if you import assets or if you import lights or do light rigs uh, in there. Uh, so that that will like sort of make everything um, unified. So like it's familiar to everyone. Um, previously, we've had like if an effects artist does one thing, it's completely different from what like a lighter would do uh, in the scene. So this sort of unifies everything into into a streamlined um, pipeline. Yeah, yeah, in, yeah. In Solaris, there. So yeah, and I think we might have an easier road so to say because we are already like using houdini so people are like familiar with the interface context and like the usual houdini uh things if you're going from maya to houdini or from i would say it's the same if you go from maya to katana or maya to gaffer or something like that it's just a different a different mindset for thinking in nodes instead of well they have nodes in maya as well but you don't maybe see them as much when you don't you build work up your, the way yeah, uh, yeah, yeah lighting setup yeah. so to say yeah. 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 But I think that's, that's interesting, especially, you know, if it's, you know, if it loads fast, that's something, because it's always been a thing. You're trying to assemble this giant monster inside of Maya sometimes Mm. can, can be a little Mm. bit slow. (laughs) Yeah. And, and USD helps with that where you have this uh, proxy purpose. So you can say like load this with a lower resolution, but once I hit render, it just switches automatically to the full res version. Right. uh, Which makes it very nice to just, Here's my OpenGL viewport with some proxy geometry. And then once I go render, I don't have to go and switch every asset to be a different version, or we don't need to set up a script to do that on, on the fly when you start to render. Mm-hmm. It just happens automatically, which is, yeah, super nice. Yeah, because it's already stored in the asset. Like the asset mm-hmm. is published with this configuration. So mm-hmm. the artist doesn't have to, like the lighting artist doesn't have to care about it. It's just right. open and click. Well, it seems also that, like you know, based on what you guys are talking about, it seems that USD is uh, um, um, what's what's uh, it's best used when you read and write to it. 
right? Mm, like somebody, yeah. somebody, I mean, I think there's, a, I've, I've heard of, you know, some, some use cases where, where other applications, yes, we support USD, but all they do is they read in the data and then they keep it mm. in their format and they don't actually use the USD mm. file directly. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I would say very much. Yeah, uh, very uh, much that, so. that's sort of the Alembic 2.0 version, I would say, that people kind of imagine, you know, like take this USD file and treat it as a file format and bring that asset in or that scene in. Right. While in this case, like you have everything in the same context. You can switch out different assets. You can yeah, switch versions and stuff like that in, in, in a like live context. Right. What are okay? Yeah, I would so, say that so, something. Oh, sorry, it's no, lagging a little bit. I think that's something we have seen, and like in other places where they kind of do this. I don't know, not half implementation, but like they only use parts of it, and that's probably why it's taken us quite some time to actually implement our pipeline as well, because we try to do like a full, uh, full USD pipeline, not right only parts uh, being oh. USD. Sure, 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 sure. Well, okay, so let's talk a little bit about VRain now. I know we're, we're getting close on time, but I want to get all this background out of the way so we can get some context <laughs> as to how it is. So I've known Andre for, for a long time. He's a he's a, a really good guy, a very funny guy, and an excellent pool yeah. player, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he he's he's obviously, you know, got into the uh, Houdini as part of the, the Houdini, uh, uh, you know, head of uh, uh, V-Ray for Houdini and uh sort of embraced this and sort of looked at what USD could do and what it is doing. And I know he's worked very closely with you guys in order to mm. support a lot of the things going on. But what were some of the challenges? Now, if you're a renderer and you're trying to support something like USD, what are some of the challenges? What are some of the things that a renderer needs to do to really support a good USD pipeline? Mm. Um, yeah, I think uh, to start with, uh, it's like, you have to figure out that you have this Hydra um, framework that you can hook into. Um, some, like in the beginning, it's easy to just think that, yeah, this is just another file format. I'm just going to implement it the same way I've implemented all the other file formats and like take USD, convert into our native format in the renderer, and then ship it off in yeah in VR scene, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, but the the other route, which is super powerful, because you um, Put it in Hydra. Hydra takes care of everything for you. So if you have some USD stuff, it ships in into Hydra, converts it into your. So you just write your sort of plugin into Hydra, and then it figures it out for you uh, and gives back that geometry and shaders and everything. And the thing is, if you do that once, you have that for like in Maya, you have that in uh, in Houdini, you have that in yeah. Potentially Blender, it depends uh, for licenses and stuff. Sure, sure, uh, sure. But <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's like instead of having to rewrite that, say like you have the USD in Maya, you want to bring that into V-Ray, then they might have their own little USD node that you have to sort of plug in into your converter for USD and then ship it off into VR scene. But if you have done it in Hydra, you have done it once. So I actually did a sneaky thing of once we got it from Houdini, I took it and did the same thing for Maya as a test just to see like this is, or to demonstrate mm -hmm. this is working. And yeah, we got it up in in, uh, in Maya. So you have it 90% there. You don't have the translation of say, Maya lights going into USD because that's something that uh, say Autodesk needs to implement to say, I have this translator of the lights into USD. And then that can just say, go to any renderer that supports this Hydra delegate. Right. So yeah, you, you get a lot of things for free if you write it to the Hydra delegate. But that is the case, right? I mean, you just mentioned it's like we had, everyone needs to support the Hydra mm. system yeah. in the proper way, right? Mm. Yeah. Are you finding that that's the case, or is it challenging? Are you get? I mean, I'm sure you're like, if you want to create USD, it's like, hey, Autodesk, I need you to do this. Hey, side effects, I need you to do this. Hey, mm. chaos, I need you to do this. <laughs> like, is that what it is? It's like getting everyone on the same in the same room trying to do the same thing. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and uh, this Hydra delegate certainly does it. Um, right. So you 
Like if you plug into this system, this is where data can come through really easily and you just figure out like, oh, I just need to write this translator once and it will work for all the rest. And then the DCC uh, software companies can just figure out how to translate their native toolset into USD. And then you have this combination of renderer and DCCs without having to yeah, rewrite it for every DCC. Uh, so I think that that's going to be a huge game changer for any renderer, I would say. Right. But yeah, it's ver various support for various renderers through yeah. Hydra uh, at the moment, so mm -hmm. to say. Uh, and I think it's also been, uh, I think most of the stuff is in the USD specification now. Uh, mm -hmm. But there, there are still some ongoing discussions about like how different things should be represented in uh, USD, where I think maybe side effects take some shortcuts for some stuff now, where they can like, yeah, before the standard is fully ready, we're gonna do it this way, which I that should make it harder for people to implement because then they can't just read the specification of USD and like, yeah, this we should implement. Right. Uh, they might have to know some stuff on a like application on an application uh, basis. Right. So, but, but still, but, it so... must be so much easier than implementing widely different specifications for yeah, each right. uh, each application but then at the same time that could like you know what you know what we had to do and from chaos is we had to implement our own implementation of v-ray inside of uh usd as well right so we had to find a way to describe a v-ray light or a specific v-ray mm. shader at, inside of mm. a usd format is that is that right um it it depends if you say in if you had a V-Ray light inside. Um, well, in in Solaris you don't necessarily have a V-Ray light. You have just one light that you drop down, and you would say that V-Ray supports it, and that comes through. That you have to sort of write a translator to say that this say dome light in in Houdini should translate into this dome light in V-Ray. Okay, and that's the only thing you need to do. But it's never storing really like V. V-Ray specific lights in the scene. But if you have a specific, say we can take the VDBs for instance, the mm -hmm. VDB can be stored as a native format inside um, USD. Um, and you can certainly write schemas to do similar stuff as well if needed. Um, but for a renderer, that's not necessarily the case in, in many, many cases there. Um, and yeah, it might be shading, perhaps. Um, yeah, you would have we, to translate yeah. the shading nodes into like how how do you actually want to store this shader node inside uh, of the USD file, uh, so mm. to say. Right. Yeah, because there's definitely means, yeah. attributes to a V-Ray shader that are not going to be in other shaders that you need to store. Yeah, right? you can you can store pretty much anything in USD, so uh, that you can certainly do. So if this, like, you know, the way that you're describing these things, you know, that this file holds, or this this series of files, in case they're all nested and layered and, and beautiful mm -hmm. in that way, uh, can store all of this information for you, uh, which is basically, you know, what file formats like VRScene and everything else were created to yep. actually do the rendering. Technically speaking, if you could just, since you already wrote the USD, you may not need to write a VR scene file if you could get V-Ray to mm. render <laughs> directly. Yeah, right? exactly. And uh, <laughs> that, that that's what you get with uh, with Hydra. You don't necessarily need to write it out as a VR scene first and then right. um, ship it all. You just write the sort of plugins to all the different geometry types and stuff like that. And that translate directly into uh, to V-Ray. And you can start to render from there. So is, uh, does that, Hydra exist as a standalone thing that you can use as a as a yeah, you have command a line render? USD almost? viewer, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you have a USD view that ships with USD, uh, mm -hmm. so you can launch that. It's sort of a little application that you can view, you can toggle around, and you can uh, switch to different Hydra delegates. So in our case, we can switch to V-Ray and render V-Ray from a standalone USD file that we just load up in this little GUI with a 3D viewport and then render. And then you have the standalone tools such as USD record where you can record with any type of, uh, of delegate and also Husk in, um, in Houdini that you can render from the Husk command there, which is what we're doing. Um, 
Right. So, yeah, it's like yeah, you can basically load that USD view up and fire off with V-Ray and go and have a coffee and come back and you have a nice scene rendered and it's also uh, and it's also live, which is <laughs> yes, uh, and it opens up a lot of automation stuff as well. Yeah. That, like you yeah. could essentially trigger re-renders of all your shots without having to open Houdini or Maya mm. or any type of those applications. You just trigger it through uh, yeah. the USD file and stuff. So. Mm. Because there was a lot of, you know, back in the day, we, you know, when you launch a render, you had to open up Maya. Maya would take mm -hmm. the scene, create the VR scene file out of it, and then close yeah. Maya, and then V-Ray would render standalone, right? And that was, mm -hmm. now it's a process that you don't have to do that. You can go directly to no. just render. <laughs> yeah. 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 So we store all our shots in F-Track, and we can, uh, like, that one plan that we have is just to right click on it and say go render and it just ships off to the farmer render and you don't have to open up Houdini or Maya or anything like that. That's amazing. That's great. Yeah. So that's going to be a huge time saver for us. Okay. So now let's talk about where, where this is going to go further. How can we push this even further? And the reason I bring this up is I'm saying it's like, okay, so... NVIDIA has sort of taken, embraced the whole idea of what USD can do to the max in terms of collaborative workflow and, and, and their thoughts about what the Omniverse uh, thing that they've tried to do. What, what are your thoughts about a, a multi-pronged, uh, you know, bring it all together, like Hydra on steroids, <laughs> everyone is working at the same time and the same thing. Like what's, what's, your, what's your ideas, what are your thoughts on, on that, that process or be it through Omniverse or any other system? I I personally think it's uh, super cool, uh, but it might be a thing that works for like a certain type of project uh, because you might have products where you don't want people to get new stuff all the time. Like you might want to have this approved before someone actually starts uh, tinkering mm -hmm. with it to not like lose a lot of time. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think also a lot of, like a lot of those workflows is very similar to like gaming workflows where everyone works on the same thing all the time uh, and yep. it goes into the same for like each shot while we might have that like yeah for this shot we really liked this version or please stop here for this one while we at the same time need to update the environment for uh, some other shots so to say uh, mm -hmm. which is kind of tricky with that workflow at the moment but they will most likely uh, figure it out uh, but yeah, it's really yeah. cool stuff. Uh... Yeah, yeah, for for us, we're not using it completely in, on the steroid part of things. We have the right. versioning uh, where we like sort of listen to stable or latest tags of assets. So you say like, bring me the latest of everything. And if right. someone publishes the latest one, you can get a pop-up saying, oh, you want to reload this one? Yeah. And then it reloads for you. Right. Um, but uh yeah, and in that sense, it's really good. So you have that sort of, um, sort of the push system. So you push out an asset instead mm -hmm. of like pulling it and say like, oh, for all these shots, please update this version. And if you have ten thousand assets in it, then it's going to be pretty cumbersome to just go in and say click, 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 right. uh, or write a tool for it. But with the uh, with the push system, it's more like, oh, okay. This is now the new latest version uh, or the stable one. Right. And just go re-render all shots and you have a new version uh, right. of all of those. So, yeah, that's a sort of a shift in how we sort of look at working, probably. Right. Um, that's mean, interesting. I, I think, like, interesting. Go ahead, Derek. <laughs> I think the Google, the like almost Google Docs approach of Omniverse is really cool though uh, mm. and i think right. i wouldn't be surprised if we see that more in vfx in a yeah. couple of years uh either uh because it's very powerful to be able to just have people push their tiny little edits from anywhere and it all goes into the same file like you can have a ton of people working on the same stuff without anyone actually risking breaking something because you can always just go back in like your stack and just like no we don't we don't want this uh, edit uh, anymore right and it doesn't explode everything. It's just like, now we just don't do that part uh, anymore. Right. I mean, but this process has been around, not necessarily in the visual effects world, but it has been around in the gaming world, right? So like things like, if you look at what Unreal is and how you do that, you can't, you can't just like up version your, 
your unreal project it's way too big a project to just upvert <laughs> right yeah. so they have they have you know you you involve systems like perforce as to be your versioning system in some ways and is that something that you feel like you know the visual effects industry may have to graduate from a traditional file versioning system to a perforce type idea of versioning I hope not, because Perforce <laughs> gives me headaches. Uh, but uh, now they're also adding like USD support to Unreal, mm. uh, so that's something we are really looking at. Uh, especially right. with like if we already have shaded asset, it will actually come into Unreal and look like proper, mm. and we can use our normal look dev artist that doesn't have to be uh, well versed, so to say, with Unreal or anything like that. They can be normal VFX artists working in their favorite software instead of in a specific editor. Right. Uh, but still produce content uh, for mm -hmm. that application. Yeah, and sure. with the like the resolver that we have, that you can listen to a stable or a latest version of things, you can quickly update that in in the scene without having to the need to have a perforce server really. Uh, so you, everything is like tracked through F track, um, right? But then imported into Unreal. So like the shot lives on F track, but you import it in the morning, and then like, oh, here we go. Here's right. the new shot, and yeah, you you do your thing in in Unreal there. Still early days, but uh, it's uh, definitely a very interesting area that we're looking into. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's amazing. That's really cool. All right, uh, Eric. I'm going to talk a little bit about like you know you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast how you said you didn't really care about 60 frames a second. You'd rather get a nice image, right? <laughs> but uh, and I get that. Totally get that. Uh, I I think a nice image is more valuable than a fast image. Uh, and uh, if you just have a little patience, you'll just get everything, all the other images that you <laughs> need. Uh, but what is your thoughts about uh, real time uh, and how uh, you know now nowadays a lot of people are thinking about real time, and it's becoming more and more possible through you know hardware and software development that have changed over the last few years do you think that real time is going to affect some of the things and the ways that you guys work in some ways uh i would say it's like already doing that like we've already delivered a couple of shows uh in unreal for a pretty like standard uh standard unreal uh, workflow uh so to say uh, right uh i would still I don't know, it's <laughs> very strong opinions, uh, but uh, I would like it that you, like, because you still lose a lot of time. Like, even if you save time on rendering, you lose time on having to optimize things, and you have to make sure that, like, it doesn't go over the memory, and if we do this crazy thing, it will slow down like crazy. Uh, but it's catching up very, very quickly, so to say, with, like, Nanite in Unreal 5 now. Uh, only for static geometry, you still can't have crazy ass moving uh, geometry, but like right. it's getting closer and closer to what you can uh, do in real time. What I think is interesting about the real time is not necessarily the rendering, because I mean, honestly, like I, I graduated from rasterized rendering, you know, 15 years ago. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to render another shadow map. But, uh, that's the <laughs> the way I feel about it. And Nanite is very interesting. But if you really think about what Nanite is, Nanite is basically what RenderMan was doing with brick maps, right? So it's not, yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's very similar, right? And that's cool. Mm. Um, but I think what's interesting specifically about real time is not necessarily the, uh, the, the what's the uh the rendering part of the real time it's the 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 pipeline of real time the feedback system of real time do you th mm. uh you know and then the ability to to actually do uh the you know if you want to do the rendering uh later it could be you know you can render it in whatever do you think that there's a philosophy of real time that's going to change a little bit in some ways uh i think so like i think if we thought more about like VFX shows, the way they think about games, that like, let's just build this thing together and not mm. muck around so much with every single detail, but maybe focus a little bit more on the end result, so to say, and the overall quality. Uh, I think that could, yeah, but there's, yeah, it's, mm. it's about what quality level you want to get right. to, so to say. Can you swallow that some shots doesn't look perfect because you haven't had time to polish it from that angle? Uh, right. Uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's interesting. I think, you know, like specifically it's about, to me, the thing that I love the most about real time is iterations, right? If I can iterate mm. fast 
then I'm in good yeah. shape. I, I want to make a decision when my mouse finger is still down. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And then when I get to where I want and I just let go and then the decision is made as opposed to one, two, three, four, five and try to hit that exactly. Mm. You know what I mean? And also just getting, yeah, and also just getting nice feedback on perhaps lighting, but most importantly, textures and stuff like that in the in the viewport. Uh, right. That is sort of like, usually you see just gray shaded character or not characters, but like, yeah, just simple colored and vertex textures here and there. But yeah, with yeah, real time catching up, it's more like, oh, we can actually do displacement. We can do normal maps. We can do this. And it actually yeah. looks pretty nice in the scene. And you get a better context of what you're actually going to see in the end. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's very, very interesting. And uh, yeah, just rendering with the uh path tracing now that is picking up in the game industry as well like kind of merging the <laughs> together and soon yeah. it's just going to be ray tracing everywhere and yeah um yeah it's it's a very interesting time to to be in the industry i think i think it'd be great you know as a as you know as a as a, as a lighting artist and a texture artist working together at the same time or like okay no 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 it needs to be dark and as this has happening mm. and the lighting's changing and you're two people working at the same time to get that look to go look right it would be kind of an mm. awesome thing to work on you know yeah yeah that would be cool yeah uh, and i think th that's what we're uh, targeting with usd as well like you get everything into the shot at the same time and like you would see the camera you would see the character mm -hmm. you would see the lighting you can turn it on if you're an animator you can turn the lighting on and see it rendered mm -hmm. and you might say like oh this character that is in the dark way off like we don't need to animate them really well you can say like <laughs> yeah or if some effects artist is coming in as like oh here's smoke and then you don't see anything and it's like why do we spend time doing this oh yeah so with the iteration process and seeing everything in context which is sort of tying into just having game the iteration process in games mm -hmm. um kind of bringing that over into vfx with usd is going to be a very cool thing uh to do and cool that's awesome yeah that's awesome. Well, listen, this has been great. You guys have put some huge context into like the future of Pipeline and where everything's going. I know you guys have, like I said, I know, you know, we've been trying to actually do a podcast with you guys for, for like six months, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> it's, it's been, uh, it's process. been great. And I know you guys have been super, super busy, uh, and, 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 and showcasing all these amazing things. So I'd be really great. So can, can you tell us over the last, you know, what you can tell us over the last you know year or so of some of the cool shows that you guys have done that you guys are excited about that you want to share with people to see some of the cool work you guys have done uh what are you able to I'll share say <laughs> one of my one of my favorite uh trailer game trailers we made is the valhalla rising uh Assassin's right. Creed trailer i thought that turned out super nicely uh and also the Redfall trailer uh for arcane studios is also super awesome work uh, nice i would that's check nice. i would check out those <laughs> okay <laughs> awesome awesome well that's really great that's really great well listen uh eric and dan thank you so much for uh for, for doing this and for being on the on on the uh the podcast and telling us about the future of pipeline because that's that's the thing i think you you guys are you guys have a good pulse on it and you got a good idea on where usd is going and 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 what how that's going to work and so i'm very excited about the future of pipeline as well <laughs> yeah yeah nice yeah i'm also always very excited about the future of pipeline like there's always so much stuff to do like yes like, the efficiency if, the efficiency Derek. Mm -hmm. it's exciting yeah <laughs> which also ties into the real-time stuff like because that's also it's mostly about increasing efficiency like we want to get more content out in the shortest amount of time yep. uh, without sure. without uh, lacking quality uh, so to say mm. but Everything faster uh, is what we <laughs> try to strive for. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, thanks, Dan. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having us. Yep. Thanks, thanks so much. Yeah.